Please pray with me before I get into my message this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for such a glorious reality that you give us of resurrection, Lord. Thank you for raising your people up and giving us eternal life. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you have accomplished, everything that you fulfilled for your glory, Lord, and for our edification. I pray that this morning my words are words of life, are words that highlight you as the resurrection, Lord, that we would look to you and know all things have indeed been fulfilled pertaining to our life and godliness, that pertaining to righteousness found in and through your people, that the manifold wisdom of God would be found through and seen through your people, Lord. We give you all the glory. We thank you for that resurrection life. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So I've titled today's message, Out from Among the Dead, He Has Risen. You know, every church is talking about Jesus' resurrection this morning, focusing on the physical resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Here at the Blue Point Bible Church, we highlight what I would like to call, and what we do call, a thinking faith. And what I want to do is challenge us to move a bit further and to truly see what Jesus' resurrection, that physical resurrection from the tomb, what it really pointed to. What was the purpose of that event? We're going to go to Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 45. We're going to read Jesus' own words in regards to his resurrection. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. And yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this, genera- with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, someone greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, someone greater than Solomon is here. Now, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will be with this evil generation. So Jesus' resurrection was to be the sign of Jonah to that generation. What was the sign of Jonah? If you remember, Jonah was told to go to Nineveh. And in his uh, stubbornness, he you know, did not go to Nineveh and decided to you know, try to go another way. And on this ship, you know, calamities happened, and then ultimately he was thrown overboard and swallowed up by a sea monster who then spits him out three days, three nights later toward Nineveh. The mission will be accomplished, amen. The will of God will not be stopped. And that's exactly what was being proven through the resurrection of Christ. That's why, as we noted on Good Friday in Matthew chapter 27, the saints came out of the tombs, right, to highlight the power and the presence of God being manifest in that generation. It's important to notice the the passages of the resurrection in Scripture, so I just want to read them to you this morning so you can take some time to read through that resurrection story in Scripture. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 15. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 20. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 49. And John chapter 20, verse 1 through 29. 
as well as chapter 21, verses 1 through 23. Last week, I also gave out a uh, handout in regards to New Testament parables, parables such as the barren fig tree, the net, the friend at the midnight, good Samaritan, good shepherd, fine pearl, great banquet, you know, all these different parables that we read about Jesus, essentially talking about the hope of Israel, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the mystery of God, the new heavens, the new earth, wherein the new Jerusalem would be found, the new covenant, the resurrection of the dead, are all the same term, signifying the same reality, all highlighting different events, different, uh, sort of like a, a crown, and you see different jewels as you look at the crown. They're all the same thing. The kingdom of God was what was going to be found in and through his people, is what was hoped for all throughout the Old Testament. How would his people manifest his kingdom so that the king would be found in and through them? Again, this was Israel's call in Deuteronomy chapter 4, that the nations would look to Israel when they followed the statutes and ordinances of God, and they would see the one true God. They would come to worship the one true God. However, we know Israel did not manifest the kingdom of God. The mystery of God was how was this going to be revealed? How was God even going to extend his salvation even to the Gentiles? How would this happen? The new heavens and new earth was the new reality. Old heaven and old earth became corrupt and defiled. So how would God bring about this new reality, this new people, this new covenant people, this new covenant? New covenant is another term. Jesus said that I established a new covenant in my blood. This is the new invitation to be in relationship with God in contrast to that old covenant that God had established with national Israel. And then the resurrection of the dead. What I'm going to posit before you this morning is that resurrection of the dead has nothing just like I'm saying about the resurrection of Jesus on that Easter Sunday, that first Easter Sunday, if we're going to call it that, um, had nothing, and I I don't want to say nothing, you know what, let me say this, had very minimal to do with raising out of the grave, biological death, and being in the presence of God. Because the ultimate reality is the presence of God. It had nothing, nothing to do with physical bodies coming out of the grave. Everything to do with the presence and power of God. The resurrection of the dead, or all these terms synonymously, point to a new reality of life wherein righteousness would dwell. And the thing about this is in Israel, you had to, uh, the way that Israel understood this was that the dead had to be, the dead ones, their old covenant, because Israel was very uh, covenant related. You know, they believed that um, they had a relationship with God, and that if they listened to that relationship with God, they would enjoy God's presence. Now, one thing Israel knew was that Their covenant was based on action. So they had to do the law. They had to listen to the statutes and ordinances of God. And when they did that, they would be in favor with God. They would be atoned for, and they would have that presence and power of God manifesting through them. So unfortunately, what is revealed through that Old Testament is that it was impossible to listen to all those 613 laws. So Israel began to walk according to their own design, began to fashion idols, and began to seek out idolatry, um, and, and, you know, unfortunately defiled their covenant. So not only were they experiencing death in, in actual life because they were you know, out of the land, they were in captivity, they were suffering, they were, you know, that's the death that plagued them because they were not listening to the statutes and ordinances of God, therefore he was not going before them. Now, when they biologically died, they would also be separated from God because, again, it's impossible to do the acts of the law in death. So they would die, and what they had hoped for because of this covenant being broken with God, was they had hoped for the Messiah to come and redeem everything, to heal everything, to restore things back to their former glory, to provide the reality that Adam and Eve had, the tree of life, wherein 
They had life eternal and righteousness could dwell amongst them. That was the hope of Israel. That's what we've been talking about here at the Blue Point Bible Church um, as, we, uh, as we've been going through the month of April. We've been talking about the fulfilled hope of Israel, resurrection of the dead, where life where it may be found. We've been standing upon the shoulders of the apostles in Scripture, uh, namely Stephen, Peter, and Paul, in regards to how they preached the gospel, how they preached this hope fulfilled. Essentially, what we've highlighted is that they were not waiting, well, they were waiting for resurrection. We are not waiting for resurrection. We are walking in the fulfilled resurrection because we do believe that Jesus fulfilled every jot and tittle in that old covenant. This morning we sang a hymn and we said we're made like him. In him we rise. We are risen. We are the risen saints. Raised to the glory of what Adam and Eve enjoyed because we have access to the tree of life because our Messiah fulfilled every jot and tittle of that old covenant. Now, I want to demonstrate to you how this would have been understood by those old covenant saints. Because we want to develop, as I talked about Friday evening, we want to develop theological concepts. The best way to understand the resurrection of the dead is as a conceptual reality. And what that means is it's not so much a physical thing. It's a conceptual thing. It's how you live in your mind. Because the mind is a place of its own. We're going to see how the resurrection of the dead is more conceptual than it is anything physical or anything like that. And then when you understand the theological concept, you can truly arrive at an applicational concept that gives glory to God and is edifying to each and every one of us. So let's turn to a passage that the Apostle Paul proclaims this gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to read a couple verses from this text here. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, found on, found on page 1,152 in the Pew Bible. Now, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you receive, in which also you stand. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he's telling them that he made, he's made known to them the gospel. Um, he's obviously going to you know, uh, explain some of the details of the gospel here. He's saying the gospel that he already preached to them. We know the Apostle Paul planted this church in Corinth, and uh, now he's writing a letter back to them. Some say this may be the second letter. We're missing the first letter. There's all kinds of theories about that. Um, however, here we see that he's establishing the gospel that he already preached. By which you are also saved if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And we don't want to believe in vain, right? We want to hold fast to the gospel that the Apostle Paul preached. We know in Galatians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul speaks against another gospel. That if another gospel was preached by an angel, a messenger, anybody... You should not listen to it. You should be accursed if you, you cleave over to another gospel. So we want to be sure that we're taking our stand upon the true gospel. And again, I posited that the resurrection of the dead is the gospel. So we want to make sure we have the right understanding of the resurrection of the dead that the Apostle Paul is preaching about. The resurrection of the dead that Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus' resurrection pointed to. The resurrection of the dead that is the saint's home, the hope. The resurrection of the dead that is the saint's reality. We want to make sure we have all of that right. It's very important that we have this right. For I delivered to you, as first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Does anybody know those scriptures that Jesus died for our sins? Well, I'm going to tell you. It's going to be in Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to take a look at that here in a moment. That's one example of Christ dying for our sins. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. It's important to note that. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Again, do we know where that is in scripture? That's a tricky one. We're going to look at Hosea chapter, uh, Hosea chapter 6 here in a moment. That he was raised on the third day. 
according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. A couple of years ago, I had done a thing here at the church where we talked about the proof of the resurrection, the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you know me, you know that the physical resurrection of Christ is essentially what captivated me and led me to Christ. That truth, that, that true historical moment led me to consider the Christian faith and allowed the Spirit of God to do the work of salvation within me. And ultimately, here I stand before you a Christian. So I want to make sure I be- you know I believe in that. I believe that Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago literally came out of a grave in a in his body that he had prior to the crucifixion. It was the same body. His body was always able to do things like walk on water, go through walls, you know, do all sorts of miracles, disappear from crowds. So I'm not surprised that Jesus' body had raised up and he had holes in him and he was able to show the, the, the holes from the crucifixion. What I don't believe is that that's the new glorified body that Scripture is pointing to. In no way, shape, or form. It doesn't really tell us that. When it's saying we're going, we're going to be made like him in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. It's not pointing to what you're going, you're going to be like him in the sign of Jonah. That you're going to, you know, that was to fulfill the sign of Jonah. You're going to be like him in his glorified state. That he went, ascended and went into the presence of God. That he did not suffer death. That he did not have to stay in Sheol or Hades and suffer the absence of death, of the absence of God because of that old covenant. That Jesus was the firstborn from among the dead. And you're going to see why all of that is so important this morning. It's not talking about physical death. I'm going to prove that to you. Let's talk about Christ dying for our sins according to the scriptures. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Page 737 of the Pew Bible. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12 of Isaiah chapter 53 and highlight certain verses here. Shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out the curtains of your dwelling, spare not, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your pegs. For you will spread abroad the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations and will resettle in desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. You will not feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you like a wife, forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's own youth when she is rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I forsook you, but with a great compassion I will gather you. In an outburst of anger, I will hide my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting loving kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. For this is the, like the days of Noah to me, when I swore that the waters of Noah would not flood the earth again. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. Sorry, I'm reading the wrong passage here. I'm going back to chapter 53 that was a beautiful passage amen (laughs) Um, isaiah chapter 53 verses 1 through 12 who has believed our message and to whom the arm of the lord has been revealed for he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him nor appearance that we should be attracted to him he was despised and forsaken of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and like one from whom men hid their face he was despised and did not esteem him 
Surely our griefs have car- he, he himself has bore, and our sorrows he has carried. Yet we ourselves esteem his as stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And chastened for our well-being, it fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was to cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with the wicked men. Yet he was like a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. He would see his offspring. He would prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. Catch that. He will justify the many. That's the purpose of Christ's death. He will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great and he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressors. And then, ironically, as I read Isaiah chapter 54, it begins to talk about covenant terms of husband and wife. Again, um, Shout for joy, O barren one. We see this highlighted by the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 4 in talking about the transition of two covenants. He says it himself that I am speaking about the two covenants. The death that kept Israel from God was their law, the law that brought forth sin, the law that brought forth death, that old covenant. You might say that old covenant body. They needed to be saved from that body. They needed the Messiah to come to take in his body those sins to remove those sins from amongst his people so that righteousness could dwell within his people who would be his body. Because his body symbolizes that death and the life. And if we find ourselves in him, we find ourselves alive. Let's look at Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, which are the verses that are highlighted as the verses uh, that his death, burial, and resurrection pointed to. Right? This is the, that he died and he revived in three days. Hosea was speaking primarily about the Assyrian captivity that was soon to come upon God's people and that was coming upon God's people in his generation. The death that they were plagued by was the death that because they had not listened to the law, it brought forth death. They were dead to God. They were taken as captives. They were outside of their land. They did not have righteousness, peace, and the power of God being manifest in and through them. Hosea chapter 6. Bible, page 902. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day, so that we may live before him. So let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring water watering the earth. Again, the northern tribes during the time of Hosea were focused on their own things, were focused on idols, were going after everything that they could rather than being captivated by the truth of God. And they were dead. That's the theological concept, that sin brings forth death. If you do not focus on things according to the lens of God, that if you do not look at the world through the lens of God, it brings forth death. I want to prove something to you this morning. 
Christ was the first to be raised from the dead. This is what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, as well as Revelation chapter 1, verse 15, as well as in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Christ was the first to be raised from the dead. Well, this is not talking about physical death. I'm going to prove that. You ready? Elijah and the Shunammite woman. Elijah lays on this um, woman's child, and her child raises up and becomes alive. Well, that child was before Jesus, in the physical sense, of course. So it's not taught Christ can't be the firstborn from amongst the physical dead. Jesus raised Lazarus. Well, that happened before the crucifixion, therefore definitely before the resurrection of Christ. Therefore, Christ was not the firstborn from amongst the physical dead. Matthew chapter 27, those saints came out of the grave. That was at the crucifixion, before his resurrection. So Jesus is not the firstborn from amongst the physical dead. Because that's not what the scriptures are even pointing to. The reality of the gospel, the hope of Israel fulfilled, the resurrection of the dead is the life that would come through the Messiah. We know that if you were alive in that generation, if you're alive today, that you can go from death to life in Jesus Christ because we're all sinners. We're all guilty. Amen? We're all dead. We're dead in in and of our natural selves. That's why we must die to death. We die to death in Jesus Christ. So we die to death, we get baptized into Christ, and we raise up with him to find our life in his body. Raised into his body. Moving from death to life, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 24, and was also carried, uh, highlighted by the Apostle John in 1 John three fourteen. We move from death to life in Christ. That's if we can profess it. However, I had marked out at the beginning of this message that to the Jews... What was very important, again, this is their covenant. Jesus is fulfilling their covenant. So it's important to look at these things through their understanding. In order for anything to happen, the dead ones, the old covenant dead, such as Abraham, such as Abel, such as Moses, Noah, they must receive life as well. So you cannot come telling me that there's do- the Messiah is doing a new thing that does not involve those that had biologically passed on. How are they going to be given the power, the presence, and the righteousness of God? And if they're not going to receive it, then none of this makes any sense because they have to receive it as well. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 through 40 says this, that the living, the church, would not receive their promise until the dead ones received their promise as well, and the dead ones would not receive their promise until the church received theirs. So all of this, this generation was a glorious thing. Surely it was a glorious thing because both people were contingent upon each other. The new could not come in without fulfilling the old. The old could not fully vanish away until the new came about. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 19 also highlights the necessity of the dead ones being raised. There has to be something for the old covenant dead. So Christ went into Hades, right? We see this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 through 10. It talks about how he uh, went to uh, the place of the dead and took the captives captive. We also see this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. Essentially, what this is highlighting is the reality of the uh, psalm that we recited this morning, Psalm chapter 68. Matter of fact, I just want to read Psalm 68 to you. And I want you to see, hopefully you're getting the picture this morning, that the reality of the gospel is hardly talking about what's going to happen when you die and a new body you're going to get to go live with God. That's not talking. It's talking about being, the, being alive, allowing the presence, the power, and the righteousness of God to be found in and through his people. And if you're a part of his people, that life is found in and through you. And we know that we've already passed from death to life, so we're not waiting for a reality to go from death to life. We're already in life, living the resurrection reality. Psalm chapter 68. 
I'm just going to read through verses 15 through 15 to 24. As a mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan, a mountain of many peaks in the mountain of Bashan, why do you look with envy, O mountains with many peaks, at the mountain which God has desired for his abode? Surely the Lord will dwell there forever. The chariots of God are myriads, the thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them as at Sinai, in holiness. You have ascended on high. You have led captive your captives. You have received gifts among men, even among the rebellious also, that the Lord may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burden, the God who is our salvation. God is to us a God of deliverances, and to, the, and to God the Lord belong escapes from death. Escapes from death, amen. Surely God will shatter the head of his enemies, the crown, hairy crown of him who goes on his guilty deeds. The Lord says, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea, that your foot may shatter them in the blood. The tongue of the dogs may have its portion from your enemies. They have seen your procession, O God, the procession of my God, my king, into his sanctuary. Again, this is all about the presence of God. This is all about the presence of God being restored to his people. Because in death, under that old covenant, they had death. That's all they had. They did not have the presence, the power, and the righteousness of God dwelling in them. They needed a new heaven and a new earth, a new covenant, which would require the dead ones of that old covenant being raised into glory and the, the saints being given that life as well, being raised into glory. In Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, the Apostle Paul, when he's speaking about death, in a lot of most of his writings, well, specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the death that is being highlighted, Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, is a death that kept his people separate from him. It's not a physical death. Physical death doesn't keep us separate from God. Only under that old covenant did physical death keep people separate from God. Only in that old covenant body did death, biological death, keep people separate from God. Hosea chapter 13, verses 13 through 14, is where the Apostle Paul also quotes from in highlighting the death that would be destroyed. Death, where is your sting? If you take some time and read through Isaiah chapter 25 as well as Hosea chapter 13, you're hardly going to see this demand that the gospel is talking about a new body that you're going to receive and this, uh, you know, this resurrection from the dead, from you know, when you die you get to uh, get a new body and go be with God. No, no. The gospel is an invitation. What we need to be sure of, first off, is what the, what the apostles, what the prophets, what Jesus Christ proclaimed. What did they actually proclaim if we're going to truly stand upon their shoulders in regards to our faith? What didn't they proclaim? Because again, it's important that we do not cling to things that they did not proclaim. It's important that we do, we, it's important not to cling to things they did not proclaim. I think that works. <laughs> so let's talk about our application as we come to a close this morning. What application can we get from the fact that the Messiah was given to his people, Israel, his old covenant people, to bring the life to them, to raise them up from the dead. The dead ones, meaning the old covenant biologically dead, as well as those that were alive in that generation and for generations to come. Generation after generation that lives on this earth has opportunity to look to the Messiah and to move from death to life. And we do not have to wait to biological death to do that. That is not the resurrection of the dead. What happens after biological death? 
So what did this Messiah fulfill? The presence, the power, and the righteousness of God. And today, through Jesus Christ, our applicational hope, which we find exemplified through Revelation chapters 21 through 22, is that now a new covenant, a new heaven, and a new earth has been given to the saints. The dead ones of the old covenant had been raised up in it. We know that that happened at the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 because when God's enemies were overcome, when that old covenant was completely shattered, that death was destroyed. That death would never plague his saints again. We have been raised into a new body, the body of Jesus Christ, the glorified body. We have access to the tree of life. Revelation chapter 22 shows us that. That we might bring that life to the nations, the healing of the nations, fulfilling exactly what Israel was supposed to fulfill in the words of Deuteronomy chapter 4. That the nations would look to us if we follow the statutes and ordinances of our God and that they would see the one true God through us, his people. It's so important we get this clear. It's so important that as we celebrate Easter that we don't have a vain belief. We don't have a vain faith. We have a faith that is truly built upon the theological concepts that are coming through Scripture. So this morning, this Easter morning, I pray that I have uh, given you some things to think about. A true theological concept of moving from death to life. To see the world through the lens of God. To be raised up, to confess, to die to yourself as we talked about on Good Friday. And to move yourself over to the life that is found through the Messiah. To be in that one new glorified body, the body of Christ, the church. And to allow his life to be exemplified in and through you. By way of the knowledge of God, the theological concepts, we can arrive at applicational concepts. We can find life to the full today. We can offer the world healing of the nations by better understanding how Jesus Christ fulfilled the resurrection of the dead. To further highlight how we, the Blue Point Bible Church, walk in this thinking faith, truly, honestly examining what the scriptures are revealing to us and then walking in that application. I want to uh, invite everybody as you leave this morning to pick up a book when you leave. We, we have a couple books in the hallway that are gifts to you for Easter. I guess it's not Easter unless you give out gifts. So uh, you, you leave the church and we'll have some gifts out there for you and uh, p- take up a book and search the scriptures to better understand the resurrection that Christ offers us. The hope of Israel fulfilled. Take time to tell those details to your friends and your families. Allowing a true theological concept to manifest and an applicational concept to be the healing of the nations. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray this morning that I have given glory to you. I pray this morning that we've gained a little bit of clarity, a challenge in regards to um, what we're reading in Scripture and what the resurrection of the dead truly is. What your death, your resurrection truly points us to. Let us not be content with theories about a new body and a new reality somewhere else, Lord, but allow us to appreciate what you have indeed established, what is made clear through Scripture. Thank you for giving us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Thank you for fulfilling your word, Lord. Thank you for the power, presence, and righteousness of you that is found in and through us giving us eternally fulfilling and satisfying lives. We magnify your holy name, Lord. We thank you for everything that you've given us, Lord. Convict us, Lord. Empower us, Lord. Raise us up to see our place in you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.